Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Welcome back to Making Data Simple. Al Martin here. This is the only place you want to be. Uh, I will work desperately to make this worth your time. I'm very seriously appreciative. We've had like over 37,000 downloads in the last 30 days. So thank you for uh, thank you for listening. So if you're if you're driving right now, keep your eyes on the road. I don't want you to, to miss the greatness, though, that we're going to have in the next coming minutes. And if you're running, you might need to walk for a bit. I'll give you permission. Then you can hit it twice as hard in a bit because we've got a, a good dialogue today, great dialogue today with Elise DeGillian. And Elise just recently took over Global Vice President of Cloud Expert Lab Services, which is interesting because it's very interesting to me because I've recently took responsibility for data and AI expert labs, services delivery. And yes, it's another IBMer, but we like IBMers here. She has a ton of insight from a lot of different roles that, that she's going to share with us today. I know she's held roles in development. She's held roles in, in sales and now expert labs and or services. So let me just jump right in. Elise, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Al. And great to spend the time with you. Um, for the audience, we should probably also say that you and I have worked together yes. probably since 2001 when we did the Informix acquisition. So you remember the Informix acquisition, absolutely. Absolutely, yes, we've worked together for quite a while. So why don't you take a moment to tell about tell us about your experience? Um, sure, so I am a 30 year IBMer. I don't know if uh, that's always good or bad, but I can tell you I've never had the same job um, for more than a, a few years inside of IBM. Um, and I come from a very technical background. So I came in as an engineer in Poughkeepsie, New York. I have an undergraduate and a graduate degree in computer science. And I, I really traversed through the organization and landed outside of development and engineering, spending the latter half of my career in sales. And, and most of that time in sales has been spent in the data and AI analytics portfolio, either as a technical seller or in the end, running the global sales organization for many years. And so I'm very steeped in the technologies and I'm very passionate around how AI is, is really transforming how businesses are dealing with clients, dealing with environments, dealing with new acquisitions. And now, as you said, most recently, I am able to take all of that expertise and apply it to running a services business which is on a different part of the portfolio, all around our cloud integration portfolio, which is cloud pack for applications, cloud pack for integration, cloud pack for multi-cloud management, cloud pack for automation, and also edge computing, which I like to think of as cloud 3.0. I, I think that's gonna be a big transformer um, in this next era of cloud computing. I do want to talk about that. So I put a note down here. So first of all, let me say 30 years, I think it's a good thing. I think when most folks think 30 years, you might think 30 years at one company. But the thing is, is as you state, uh, and I speak for myself here too, when I joined in 2001, thank you for remembering, um, I said, there's no way that I'll stay at IBM. But every three, four years, you, you're taking on a different role one way or another. So it's like many different companies within the same company. So 30 years is 30 years of a ton of different roles that you 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 just mentioned. Is 
sales your natural state? Is that your natural discipline? Or because could you have spent the latter part of your career in sales? Well, I would tell you working with clients and working with people is my natural discipline. I, I, I knew that when I was in a lab environment and I was just starting out and that was more of a heads down, you know, working on code, you know, tirelessly, that was a starting point. But I knew that that's not where I ultimately wanted to go. What I really get the most satisfaction of is understanding what clients are trying to do in their environments and how they're really trying to transform their businesses and then how we bring a collective set of expertise, whether it comes from sales or technical sales or engineering or research or services, and, and seeing how we help customers really completely drive new applications in their business or transform their businesses or um, do, do completely different um, ways of business and how they're beating the, their competition. It, it's very rewarding. To, to see how that comes to life right on the floor with a client. I tend to be, I, I like creating things. So I've always liked coding, but man, I get agitated. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get up and, and get in front of the client and see how, how it's uh, impacting their overall business. Hey, I want to, I want to give you a compliment to start because I got a, a follow on question. We, you'll take a compliment, won't you? Oh, well, of course. Keep them coming. <laughs> we, we, we have hectic jobs, um, fun, but hectic. And sales is certainly at the forefront of that with a ton of pressure to add. And every time I see you, you seem very well put together. You're in control. You got energy. You're optimistic. You're always approachable. What's your secret? <laughs> well, you didn't prep me for this question. I know I don't. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. Maybe it, it comes from a couple different things. Um, I, I have a very good support structure, so I never feel like I'm doing anything alone. Um, so, you know, a wonderful husband, strong family ties, strong family and friend ties, great work ties. So I guess getting up in the morning, I enjoy what I'm doing as a result of all the support around me. Um, and then I think you just learn through the years how to put your energy towards the things that you can control and abandon your energy against those things you really can't control. And so I feel like every day I've learned better and better how to prioritize what I'm going to work on that will yield the best results. And that's not easy. I think that comes with experience. It comes from good mentors who help you through this process. Um, and I think I've always, what I always tell people I mentor as well is, you know, always stay focused on what's going to drive the business forward. And, don't may take anything personally. Don't make anything personal. If you always keep that lens on, then you tend to focus always on the right things and spend your energy on the right things. And I just feel like that makes my day go smoother. So do, do you, are you able to repel stress? Because it's easier said than done, right? Everything you said is easier to say. Obviously, you're embodying it. You're, you're, you're doing it. But are you able to push stress off? I mean, do you just refuse to accept it or is it? No, I think um, maybe I compartmentalize quite honestly, because I'm certainly stressed um, over many different things you know, <laughs> different with each day for, for sure. Um, but I guess it just comes through. There's different ways of handling stress and everybody has different techniques. And I guess I have to think about what exactly is 
my technique. You know, everyone has exercise or meditation or friends or hobbies. So mine's probably some collection of all of that. Um, And I honestly, the other thing that makes my job or makes, you know, my life a little less stressful is also surrounding myself with the best possible people. The other advice I'll always give somebody is try to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. And if I stick by that and I am successful at doing that, then my life is simpler. And I have no issues with putting folks around me that are definitely better than me. Um, And I will reward them and accelerate their careers and do everything I can because you always want good people around you. I totally agree with the last statement. When I, you know, I just took this new role and as I'm introducing myself, that's the one thing I started out with. I said, look, I don't know if we have the dream team, honestly. Uh, We will in the end. But for right now, I can tell you, I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Uh, That's the secret to success. And once you get past that, and I've learned that later on in my career, um, you know, you can, you can get a lot, a lot of things done. It's, it's the growth mindset. You know, one thing, uh, and by, by the way, I know you have a, your, your husband's an IBM exec as well. So there's gotta be a lot of stress there. When you guys go home, do you say, <laughs> no, no, we don't talk about any IBM stuff. Well, I try, I, I truly, truly try. I probably try better than he does. And, and I, I do want to <laughs> cut it off for a few hours, but there are plenty of times. And actually just recently, if I think about it, where I'm like, okay, so for the next hour, we are not talking about IBM. In fact, I would love it if we didn't even look at our phones. And that is so much easier said than done. So there's, <laughs> we often have to put some boundaries um, around us. But what becomes you know, even more fun to try and balance is now I have, um, I'm second generation IBM. My daughter yeah. is third generation IBM. So she, wow. she works in Manhattan. And she's just starting a new job that's in a somewhat related field that I'm in. And now she's pounding me with questions, which I love. But, you know, <laughs> she's got this, she's a ball of energy and she, there's no turning her off. Well, the apple doesn't far, fall that far <laughs> from the tree then. And it sounds like Eddie, your husband, you got to put him in timeout every so often. That's what I heard. Well, yeah, that, that just don't tell him I said that. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he's not listening to this. You know, to carry this one step further, um, when we had a meeting one time and we were talking about things we believe in or keys to success, the subtle keys to success, I don't remember what it was. And you came in and it was very simple, but it's something I really believe in. So it, it hit well with me and that's hydration. You, you, you spent like five minutes talking about hydration. You remember that? I, I do. And I'm shocked at how many people still come up to me and, and talk to me about that. And I, I showed a picture of a brain. First, I put up a picture. And I said, what is this? And everybody's like, oh, I don't know, you know, an asteroid. And, and what it was was a picture of a healthy brain as compared to a brain that's 2% dehydrated. And you can see physically kind of the lapses um, in parts of the brain. And you can understand from that how, you know, lack of, of strong brain function would result. So I talked about the value of hydration and, you know, how much water typically everybody should drink a day, but what it really does to brain health. And that stuck with people. And I, I try to follow it every day. I can't even say that I'm the best advocate of that by, by my own use, but I try to be, but I'm glad that it stuck with you. It did stick with me. I mean, there's three things that I've, I've learned is, is I've gotten older and, and gotten wiser. At first, I pride myself, like, for example, on no sleep. I can do it three hours. It's great. Now I think, what an idiot. 
<laughs> I was. I, I, I believe in three things and I really try to abide by this. One is get sleep. And if if anybody's listening out there, there's a book called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And if you read that, I won't need to explain it anymore. It talks to everything from mental illness and everything else like that that's associated with lack of sleep. Secondly is hydration. Uh, I am 100% behind, I, yeah, like you said, Google dehydrated, dehydrated brain. That'll explain it. And the third one is exercise. We're just not meant, or I'm certainly not meant to sit all the time. I, I exercise is my coffee. And usually I, the only time I'll sacrifice exercise is if I'm sacrificing sleep because sleep always comes first. And it took me a long time to wisen up to that. So it resonates with me. Yeah, good. No, I, I think those are high on everybody's on everybody's list. So that those are all good because you got to take care of yourself. If you want to be, you know, better employee, better leader, better mother, better spouse, better friend, you have to take care of yourself first. So by the way, anybody listening, I did a, if you're interested, I, in LinkedIn, I, I've got end on medium. I have a, a blog about that if you're interested. So, Hey, back to the, the story at hand. So you've had a, an amazing journey over the last 30 years. You've went from computer engineer to management, to, to sales, now services. How is that? Is that been a natural progression? I mean, this is all interest that you found. And I guess the second part of that question is, is second and third, I guess, is what is what have you learned along that process and what has been your favorite role? Well, I, don't, I didn't necessarily pick the next job I would go into. Um, as you get to a certain part in your career, you're often told this is what you will go do. And that was somewhat what landed me in the services role. But I have to tell you, I'm, I'm really excited about being in this role because I'm taking all the years that I've spent in sales and working with clients and, and now taking that discipline into this new job. But the biggest thing that I've learned is that we have to work with clients much earlier in the sales cycle. So, you know, IBM has a very defined sales cycle, but it's the same in any company they don't want to be sold to. You need to back up, you know, well ahead of any deal that you might do. And you need to sit down with the client, understand what are their objectives, what are their use cases, what are the business imperatives, and what is it that we can do to help prove success in their environment. And and it means bringing experts in earlier in the cycle that understand their business. It means being able to invest resources that will show them how this is going to succeed. How will this fit, not just within their business objectives, but within their technical infrastructures and, and show them a plan for success. So once you do have this, you know, you, once you buy into this solution, what do you need to do afterwards in order to make this successful on an ongoing basis? And how will this scale? And how do you educate your teams? And, and how do you transform the expertise across your teams. There's so many different elements. And what I've found in this job is that we are more successful if we engage folks who have that capability earlier in the conversation with clients. And that's what I'm really now focused on doing is, is, is forget what, you know, how my team is organized or compensated or anything like that. Get my team engaged in early. And, and Alice is, I'm sure you're seeing the same thing on your side in your new role is the more we can get our services teams in early because they have the real expertise and working with clients early, then the more chance we have of success. 
because I keep saying to my team, clients are interested in successful outcomes, not in buying products. And I'm going to stick to that mantra, you know, every single day in this job. Nicely stated. Uh, actually, you took my um, my next question <laughs> because I was gonna I was gonna say, hey, look, it, it's how you sell is often well, it is more important than what you sell. And that was going to be my question: is is what has been your secret to success with the in a world of reluctant risk averse uh, clients? Uh, but if I could restate, basically, you said, look, instead of planning with them, you gotta you gotta bring the solution to them in a in the form of a value statement versus product statements, etc. But I, I I hear you, and that is what I'm preaching to my team as well. It's 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 like the 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 book that your boss always pushes on you, which is the Challenger Cell, which I. I do do uh, believe in, but um, having said that, do you find you know you've been in sales a long time? I got to believe it's really hard for a number of different reasons. One is uh, you got to do your research. You got to know the customer, and so you got to be able to bring that value to the customer situation to tell them something that they didn't know before, so that they see you as a trusted advisor. And I don't know do 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 the reps that are successful just put in more time. Or the rep, conversely, the reps that are unsuccessful, are they just trying to find the easy deal and then go from deal to deal? Uh, and because you got to put in some work to get that done, I think sometimes we sort we or we could tend to shortchange that to to get to the next deal that's ready to close. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, um, we just came out of a, a what we call a fast start event in Las Vegas. It's essentially our sales training event that we have in each of the different geographies. And we had about 7,000 people that were in Las Vegas to go through the training. And we spend a lot of time and a lot of money to take folks through this training. I could see very, very easily which of the reps that were going to be successful versus those that were really not investing the right time. Because the ones that are successful are the ones that truly invest in continuing to build their skills, understanding how they should be reacting to different scenarios, really getting in deep into the offerings, understanding the competition, and they're engaged throughout the sessions. They, they have a thirst for learning and a thirst for, for expanding their skills. And, and they do that through traditional learning. They do that through reading. They do that by, by blogging and putting themselves out there in uncomfortable positions until they get comfortable, that practicing what they're going to say in front of clients. The, those that invest time like that are absolutely the reps that will be more successful in the long run. And they have the right mentality because it's not just about what can I close today. It's about how am I going to develop those really strong, fruitful relationships with clients that are going to you know, go beyond you know, the next 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. So I, I totally agree. And I do know some reps that you know, if I get called twice to go visit a client with them and it's like, say, two different clients and I'm I'm driving the technical conversation, I know we got a problem. And I'm, I'm one to call that out. Let me ask you another question, though, particularly if you're making the transition to services. And that is, how do you handle well, the word I'm looking at? How do you handle free? In other words, kind of like RFPs and POCs, how do you stop the scenario where you spend like a million dollars to pr prove that the solution works only to find that the customer then says, oh, great, now you've proven it to us. Now we're going to go find the lowest bidder to win the deal after you've proven it to them. I mean, that, that, that can be an expensive proposition. I mean, where do you stand on that? How, how do we have either avoid it or how do we manage that? Well, I'll, I, 
I think it does differ based on situation, but by and large, it really comes through a lot of upfront validation to understand, you know, are you talking to the right person in the account who's making the decision? Who holds the budget? What is it, more importantly, what is the client trying to achieve? Um, Do we understand their criteria? Do we have agreement that if we meet this criteria that we will, you know, continue to go into, you know, um, different procurement phases of this? There's so much qualification that has to be done up front. And again, it goes back into you're doing and asking those questions because you've invested the time already with the client. Because when you haven't invested the time and you don't have the skills, this is what typically happens. You walk into a client, you hear some buzzwords, oh, let me bring in X, Y, Z, and they have to bring in a team of five other people. And all of a sudden, like, well, you know, let me do a POC. And and they lead with that. And that becomes where we spend a lot of money and, and that becomes a losing proposition. Instead of having spent, you know, the time ahead of time with this client, understanding what they want to do, you know, having them understand what IBM's point of view is on this and what the solutions are that they offer around their business problem, demonstrating to them in in other ways how we can drive success. And then ultimately, if that leads to where we have to invest much more in a proof of concept or an MVP, we will do that. We'll absolutely do that. But only when we know we've really verified and validated we're on the right right path. I think it's a great answer. I think the trick therein, from my perspective, is not a trick, but the the action that needs to be taken is you need to make sure yet that the stakeholders, decision makers, and you need to set this expectation up front that are in agreement is if you you expend the investment on this RP or POC that you know they're going to proceed forward uh, with the with the deal uh, versus you know starting all over from scratch. But you mentioned something else. Here's a question, a follow on question. You talk about getting the the decision maker, but so much of the decision makers today are really there's usually one person that's going to stroke the check, but there's a there's a lot of need for consensus. Uh, which can take a bit. Uh, any advice there? Well, you're right. There are certain clients that we go into and you find that, you know, you've got to talk to 20 other people. And, and you see that a lot in different countries. And then there's other instances where, you know, one person ultimately will make the decision and holds holds the funds. And you have to really figure out what scenario you're into. Um I, I really think the process is, is very much the same um, because as through any sales process, you have to understand who are who are the decision makers and who are the stakeholders and who ultimately is the person who, who writes the check. And that's all part of the, the sales process to understand it. And then you've got to build your game plan. So if it is a process by consensus, then how do you navigate that process, right? That's a whole whole plan that has to be developed. And ultimately, then how do they make their recommendation if they have to make a recommendation by committee? How is that decision made? And you, and you really have to go through investigating all of these different stakeholders and leaders and decision makers to formulate what your plan is. But it takes time and investment to do that. And that's what, you know, again, coming in and being able to demonstrate some of the work we can do early on with clients, tying it back to business objectives is always is always the plan that has to be built. So each each and every person has to be building their strategic plan at an account level. 
And if they do that through good planning and building their skills, then that ultimately is what leads to success. Now, when you've led, you, you've led sales um, worldwide, um, you are the, uh, the, the top of the food chain there, so to speak. Where do you spend most of your, your time? And, and should that be the place you spend most of your time? It sounds like there's a lot of time coaching and providing direction, but you know, where, does, where does the head of sales spend most of their time? Well, I probably spent my time equally in two places. One is, obviously, as a head of sales for any company, you have a sizable team underneath you. Um, and my team was very sizable. So a lot of my time was spent on how do I, how do I make that team better, right? Do they have the right skills? Do they have the right tools? Do I understand where I have pockets that are not performing well versus are performing well? So I spent a lot of time trying to understand and accelerate the health of the organization. That was part one. The second part is spending it directly with clients because I, I can't even tell you how many clients I would sit down with, and I know you've done this as well, where you're talking to a CIO or a chief data officer or someone else in the C-suite about data and AI and and the value of data and what does AI and technologies like machine learning, you know, how are those instituted? How do you have access to those? What are the steps you take to move your organization through this ladder to AI? And it's like you see light bulbs turning on. And so you think that these clients understand, you know, what's happening in the landscape and you would hope they'd understand IBM's point of view and you have to accept the fact is probably often no to both of those. And so the more that you spend in front of clients, you know, showing them what's happening in the rest of their industry, what the trends are, where others like them are making the investments, how they can get started, you know, it comes circle back around, right? How can we help them with success, getting teams engaged early? It, you know, you can see how the, what I call the circle of life, you know, spins here. So nice. that's, I think is any good sales leader, that's probably the right way to split the time. Makes sense. I mean, I agree with you. Every, every client tends to be a, a every company is a tech company, but there's a difference between a, being a tech company that's focused on banking or telecom versus somebody like, that's a tech provider like IBM, that expertise. I mean, I don't see I mean, they're always looking to learn. I think that's our job is to provide that information, how you integrate technologies, et cetera. Hey, is there anything that we didn't say about sales or services that we need to finish up in? Otherwise, I got a couple more question, que questions to you, at least the person. Okay, shoot. <laughs> All right. Uh, first of all, I've heard you're a poker, poker player and a golfer. Is that true? <laughs> yes, both are true. How, are you a good poker player? <laughs> I well, guess there's no other way, right? You're a good well, poker player. Well, I, though I think there's plenty of good and not so good poker players. But, um, you know, I, I, I say this to, to a number of folks, and I really believe it's true. I, I, I've been, been playing cards since I can remember. I used to play penny poker with my grandparents. Anytime we had family over the house, we were always playing some sort of card game. So I've grown up with, you know, for a love of cards, and especially for love of poker. And I've brought my kids up pretty much the same way. But I always say that I, I think poker teaches you real world skills. It, it teaches you odds, how to take risk, how to uh, assess 
the read the table. So assess what's happening around you quickly, make decisions very quickly, learn from outcomes very quickly. Um, and I think so when you think about life skills, I think a lot of that can be taught at, at the poker table. So not that you have to gamble a lot. As I said, <laughs> I start out with pennies um, and I really treat it more as a family sport more than anything else. But I, um, I've learned a lot of, of life things by playing poker. So there you have it, folks. Life skills through poker at the family table. That's right. <laughs> Do you, did your family play poker then as a family? Yeah, absolutely. So still holidays, anytime we get together, we have cousins nights where, you know, we're, we're the house where everybody comes to. Um, nice. I had a poker table in my house um, before I moved. Now it doesn't fit, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Does, uh, so if we go to Vegas, will I find you on the, on the tables? No, uh, I do not play at the table. Well, well, wait, wait, I do not play poker in Vegas, and I don't play poker online. I, I enjoy the sport of it um, in a family environment. But you will find me at other tables. Um, All right, got it. it. Golfing, what's your handicap? Uh, I'm a 16 handicap. Which How often do you golf? Um, in the summer, I try to get out once or twice a week if I'm not traveling. Um, other than that, it's very sporadic. So certainly not as much as I'd like to. So that's sort of on the plan B when I am no longer working list. <laughs> so you just keep it enough so you're still interested and can keep it going, and then you'll, you'll hit it hard once you once you, you you're 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 done. That's right. All right, got it. We're, I got to play a game of Would You Rather. All right. Okay. This is a game is I'm going to give you two choices. and You got to fo follow on one side of the, or blah, let me, let me try this again. I'm going to give you two choices and you fall on one side of the fence or another. And they're not usually not easy choices, but you got to pick a side, right? Okay. And it's a lightning round, so we can just rip through it. But if you want to say anything and say as to why you picked, then you, you, that's up to you. Okay. All right. Ready. Florida or Canada? Florida. Florida or New York? Florida. Well, it's always Florida with you. That's where you can golf more. Well, exactly. <laughs> Development or sales? Sales. Sales or services? Oh, this is a tough one. I'm going to say services. All right. Pace University, and I, I'm going to have a pr trouble pronouncing. What is it? Re Rensselaer? Rensselaer. Rensselaer. Polytechnic Institute. Which one? Uh, I'm going to say Pace because I spent more years there. Nice. I mean, more years in a good way or you just you're partying a lot? <laughs> well, if anybody <laughs> knows Pace University, it's not really known to be a party school. So. Oh, okay. And you did no partying? Is that what you're trying to tell uh, me? I did not say that. <laughs> All right. Canadian Thanksgiving or U.S. Thanksgiving? Canadian Thanksgiving. Wow. Because they why, why? They you got to give me an explanation. That real pilgrims did Thanksgiving in October when there was something to harvest. So I, I'm going to go with that. All right. I'm going to test you then. All right. Canadian Thanksgiving or Armenian thank Thanksgiving? Oh, Canadian Thanksgiving. I, I don't even know when Armenian Thanksgiving is. And please don't tell my father-in-law I said that. <laughs> now, wait a second. But I had heard 
through the grapevine that you went to Armenian Thanksgiving and there was like a like a jillion people there. You didn't know what to do with your, yourself. Is that <laughs> well, untrue? Well, any Ar- Armenian get together has a jillion people and it's <laughs> so right. uh, that's probably true. All right. Canadian news, U.S. news. Canadian news. Now, why Canadian? Their top story is a Zamboni driving or player uh, playing goalie. No, that was a funny story. I agree. But I will tell you that every time you put on the news in Canada, it starts what's happening in the rest of the world, which is very different than I find when I put on a local news station in the U.S. where it starts more with local news. So I just found that I got more understanding of what was happening in the rest of the world when I listened to the Canadian news each night. Very fair criticism. I think you're right there. Uh, Raptors or Knicks? I'm Raptors all the way. <laughs> you seem pretty resolute about uh, that. I love, I love the Raptors. So I'm uh, that I will always, always uh, vocalize. Blue Jays or Yankees? Yankees all the way. So I might love the Raptors, but I am a Yankees girl through and through. So if it was Raptors versus Yankees, it's Yankees got it all down. Well, that might be a fun competition to watch. <laughs> it depends what sport they were playing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right, poker or golf? Golf, I have to say, just because it keeps you outdoors. Nice. All right, you did well, and you, you owned it, too. And a couple of those were very resolute. You went all in. I oh, like I it. I love them. You were, you were well prepared, Al. Good job. <laughs> hey, I do my research. I've got some, I've got some hidden moles, too, so we're good. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Um, where can listeners go to, to learn more about you, what you're working on, or, or anything in between? Oh, well, I'd say links through LinkedIn or Twitter, Um, I will promise to be more socially active out there. Certainly, um, you know, anyone can contact me through those handles. And I really enjoyed this. So thank you so much for including me in your podcast. No, thank you. I can't tell you. I learned a lot. Uh, Just it's the pleasure been on mine. Thank you so much, Elise. So so listeners, uh, until next time. Uh, We always want to hear back from you. Please rate us wherever you may be listening to this podcast. And you can always reach out to us at almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Until next time, I'll see you on the podcast. Thank you, guys. See you. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out.